Hello, I'm Eric. Hi, I'm Sydney. And this is Hallmark Mysteries. And more. Well, hello, John. It's a pleasure to have you here. I was not expecting to talk to you again so quickly after uh, last time, but some things happened. Things happened. Things happened. That's the nature of life. Things happen. Yes, it is. So (laughs) I think probably we're going to talk about Mystery 101. But before we do that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the world of of the writers and the Writers Guild. And I've seen a lot of the the posts you've been sharing. You guys are on strike now. No, no, we're we're, we're not on strike yet. We're not on strike yet. And we actually, to be clear... We don't want to go on strike. The, the Writers gotcha. Guild of America does not want to go on strike. What we have done as members in, at an overwhelmingly large rate, in fact, it's our biggest ever vote in this direction, where we vote on what's called strike authorization. So the full membership has a, has a vote in which we decide yes or no, do we want to authorize our negotiating committee to strike. And so we actually voted over 97% in favor of authorizing the negotiating. Okay. Okay. And the reason we did that is to give the negotiating committee leverage because just so in case people don't know what's going on right now in Hollywood, you know, in this multi-billion dollar industry that is essentially an industry of storytelling, right? I mean, fundamentally, Hollywood is an industry of storytelling. We, the storytellers, also known as the writers, uh, I I mean, of course, obviously, film and television are incredibly collaborative arts. We should say that from the get-go. We can't do this work without actors and directors and production designers and costume designers and sound recordists and teamsters and you know and all, so many many people and producers and executives and all of these people we can't do the work but the work begins with the script that's the story that's the blueprint for the making of the story and so right now our contract that we have with all the studios Amazon Apple Paramount NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, right? Our contract is coming up and where it needs to be reevaluated. And, you know, just a few years ago, this contract comes up periodically every few years. And a few years ago, we actually authorized in favor of strike and the strike was able to be averted. Uh, as and, and so, you know, I'm really, I and I think 90, probably 97% of my fellow writers are hoping that this strike gets averted. But that's not really up to us. That's really up to the studios if they are going to meet our incredibly reasonable terms to be to be paid fairly, to be compensated fairly, mostly in the streaming world, mostly in the world where where things stream, because you know the the business has changed a lot since we last negotiated a contract. And we just want to make sure that we're compensated fairly so that we can live. We don't, none of us want to be paid $20 million a year like this, the co CEOs of, of Netflix are making, as it was just announced last week. These two guys, each one of them is making $20 million, right? All right. Well, you, not, wouldn't, you wouldn't hate it if they forced you to take it. I wouldn't, but <laughs> right. it's not what we're after. No, what no. we're after is to, 
is honestly just to be solidly middle-class, hardworking employees, people who who work hard to, to create, you know, to do what we love, which is create these stories. So that's where we are right now. And our, our, our wonderful negotiating committee is, you know, locked every day in a in a conference room with these with the the the, the people from the AMPTP, which is the producer, you know, the studios, with their representatives trying to hammer out a an equitable contract, a fair and equitable contract that we can all agree is is will keep things going because you know we don't want to kill theatrical. Uh, movies. We don't want to people to not get their next season of their favorite show. We don't want that. Right. But again, it's not really up to us. And and all we've done by authorizing yes for the strike is give our negotiating committee leverage. Uh, and and we will strike if we don't get a deal by midnight uh, on Monday, uh, May first. Oh, so it's coming right around the corner. Oh yeah, okay. it's mon Monday, May first at midnight. It, we okay. will we will go on strike and we will do it. And I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been around a couple of years. And it's so. no, nobody wants to do it. I, right. I just really want to be clear. None of us want to do it, but we have to do it if, you know, because, you know, it's the law of cause and effect, right? So, uh, you right. Know, so we have to create a cause uh, if we want to have a positive effect. So. Well, you, you shared some, some things and I've watched the videos and I won't claim to really understand, but just getting a, like a little snapshot. But I mean, this is some of the basic things like basic healthcare type things, <laughs> or the other was from uh, going back a little bit, how it was, it seemed like they were trying not to give you guys any of the residuals for streaming of which we know what streaming is now and yeah. it just so right i do see where you're coming from and from you know what i've been seeing is it all you're really it seems like is trying to keep up with the times and not correct. let that that piece of the pie you know keep <laughs> that's correct shrinking and just yeah. sort of maintain your piece of the that's pie. Right. That's right. That's right. I mean, that that's what's that's what's so mind-blowing about the fact that we don't have a deal yet is we're not we're not asking for anything other than normal inflation, you know, I mean, the normal rate of growth right. compensation. And again, just to be clear, who we're asking this from, I don't know if you've heard of these companies, Amazon, Netflix, <laughs> um, Apple. I think I, I read something when I was in Discovery, deep, deep reading. Yeah, Discovery, yeah. Am Amazon, Warner, the little uh, company. Paramount, uh, you know, uh, NBC Universal. I mean, these are the... So for these guys to suggest that they're not really making money, uh, enough money to pay us. And by the way, we are the first, uh, sort of the, the first wave, if you will, of, of, of artists who are going to be negotiating with these committees. So that's why we're, we're the tip of the spear. We're really important. And that's why SAG-AFTRA, which are the actors, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, the directors, and IATSE, which are the Teamsters who are like, you know, just so incredibly important. I mean, they're the people that get everybody where they need to go. Right. And the, all of these unions have all lined up behind us and said, we will not be crossing the picket line. We will not be working. Oh, if, if so it all... They all support. So they de facto yeah. essentially go on strike. Too. Yeah. So they're they're essentially I mean, you know, obviously there are contracts. If an actor has right. a contract, they have to contractually fulfill right. and finish that contract, but they're not going to do new work, you know, stuff like that. Right. So so okay. um, 
you know, and and that that's and that's you know, there's uh, there, there's power in a union. And of course, I know there are some people who might even be listening to this podcast who think, oh, I don't like unions, you know. And and I think the reason that people don't like unions historically is because you know, un unions are run by human beings, and sometimes human beings are prey to corruption. And there has definitely been corruption in unions. But I can proudly say, as a member of the Writers Guild of America, we are not a corrupt union. There's no graft. There's none, well, none of that nonsense going on. And and unity, you know, un union and, and unity are the same thing. So how can you possibly be against unity? So yes, anyway. But I, I come from Detroit, so um, I'm very versed on the good and the bad of unions. Sure. Yeah, so. and of course there's there's bad about right. unions, but but I think our union, the Writers Guild of America, is such a honorable union who has really honestly done really, really good things for for its membership. Right. And I'm so proud to be a member of the WGA. Well, part of the reason why I want to bring this up is because when we talk about Mystery 101 is it's just a reminder that behind these great stories, there is a business. Sure. And we, we do have to remember that. And as fans, we tend to see that final product and kind of think that it just sort of magically happens out of the goodwill of everybody because, you know, John Christian Plummer, he just has these great stories that he just wants to give away but no you need to put some food on the table too so you know we understand that and you know christopher and amy same thing you know yeah. they they need to make a living and yeah. um and 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 we do get all all of that so mm -hmm. all right so as i said it was about a month ago that we were talking and we you know, one of the things we wanted to say is ask, you know, a few questions uh, about Mystery 101 and the history. And we briefly talked about episode eight. And, you know, we were frustrated it hadn't happened. But at the same time, we we're all optimistic. Eventually, it was going to happen. And we've now discovered it's not going to happen. So our us as fans were were, I would say, shocked. Also, as some of us probably not quite surprised, mm -hmm. um, I think more of the way that it happened was a little bit startling. And I think Hallmark would agree, probably not the best way of doing that, but the actual the news. Now, did you know a little bit beforehand or did you find out like the rest of us from the comment I, on a comment? Uh, I, I got the call on Friday. Uh, okay, so you you had a little heads up. Yeah, yeah, okay. and I, I was asked if I would, you know, post post about it once I got the the green light, and so yeah. Okay, probably not the best best one, but once again, we talked. There is a business. Yeah, thing. I mean, you know, things it's, happen. Yeah, things happen. I, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's um terribly. I, I it's not wonderful uh, or you know joyful for you know, the fans to get too obsessed with the way in which information is delivered, you know, it's, it's a human business and there's human error. And, you know, I think that's all we really need to say. All right. Have you talked to Chris, Amy, and any of the other staff or the uh, Jill, executives? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Of course. I talked to my producer uh, and she's the one who gave me the news. And I talked to 
I talked to Chris. I've been in touch with Jill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So just a sort of universal sadness, but you know what? We're on to bigger, better, new things, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, it's, it's, you know, it's a loss. I mean, when there's a loss, there's sorrow. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that and be real about it. And, it, and so that's certainly real for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, what, what was the quote I sent you, Eric? Oh, right. I have that actually coming up, the Agatha Christie. Yeah. Do you want to share yeah. it now? You know what? I have it as building into the end. All right. All right. Will, so we, will, we will do I it. I, I think it was, I think it was yeah. fantastic. No, no, no. no. You, you can say but, it later. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, sadness. But, you know, again, life, I mean, the nature of, of life is that things, you know, not, nothing really ends. It simply transforms. That's, I mean, and as a Buddhist, <laughs> I know you and I have talked about my practicing SGI Buddhism, but that's really, I mean, science has verified that, right? Even in a black hole, matter isn't destroyed. It transforms into something else. So I find that that's a, such a much more uh, helpful and beneficent way to look at even death, you know, even the death of a loved one or a, a family member, uh, some, you know, it, it, you have to look at their life as transforming, not not being over. Nothing's over. Well, it's actually a great segue into what my next question was going to be, and I was, was that you're 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 very focused or vocal about being an SGI Buddhist or practicing SGI Buddhism, and you've been nice enough to share some information as I've asked you some questions about it. And um, two things have really stuck out with me about the teaching of it. And mm -hmm. one of them is the resiliency that mm -hmm. it seems to preach, as well as the acceptance. And it's kind of what you were just talking about. And there's the quote of true happiness means forging a strong spirit that is undefeated, no matter how trying the circumstances and I apologize if I get his name wrong, Daisaki Ikeda? Daisaku, Daisaku Ikeda, yeah. Ikeda, okay. Yeah. Now, I just really, as as I was going through that, and I know you do your, your um, chanting, mm -hmm. it just seems like a lot of the um, the, 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 the teachings of, of SGI Buddhism really would be fantastic for people as they're dealing with this grief and trying to accept okay. it. Is there, yeah. you, you just shared one of them about how nothing really ends. Can you, can you share a little bit more, maybe some of the, you know, not that we're trying to convert everyone, you know, during this podcast, no. but I think there are some really good um, tenets in there that really can help people with this, because like you said, it, people are experiencing grief. I've been shocked, but they are experiencing grief. Yeah. I mean, I think the best Right. So, so the, that's his thank you. And thank you for giving me a chance to speak about it. I mean, I started practicing Buddhism about 27 years ago. And initially I was incredibly reluctant and resistant to do it. In fact, I had been introduced to it about 37 years ago by a friend of mine in college. And I actually tried to get him to stop practicing this. <laughs> and fortunately he didn't. And then he eventually introduced this young woman who I eventually started dating. And then we eventually um, 
uh, got engaged and then we were due to be married and she said she'd like to have a Buddhist wedding ceremony. And I said, no, I didn't want to do that because we'd already planned a big wedding. It was going to be non-denominational and everything. And she said, well, it's really important to her. Why was I being so re reluctant? We could just have a very simple ceremony at the, at the New York Culture Center, the SGI Culture Center in New York City. And why was I being so reluctant and resistant? And I actually... Because she asked me that question, I actually had to answer it, you know, and I realized as we walked for several blocks in silence <laughs> together <laughs> that the only real answer I had to that question was that I was afraid and I didn't really know what I was so afraid of. And that was troubling to me. And so I said, okay, let's let's do it. But I want to know what I'm doing. And she said, okay, great, we can start tomorrow. And I thought that meant, <laughs> we, you know, I thought that meant we would study. Because I love to study, obviously. I'm a literate person and I love to read and study. But in fact, what she meant was we would chant together for the first time for me. And we chant, and so the, the practice of chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, that's what we chant, Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, which is the title of the Lotus Sutra, but of course it's much more than that, and it's really hard to even um, explain what it is to people until they try it, and um, I, we chanted for like 15 minutes, and she, I, I, I just can't even explain to you. It was a really transformative thing. And of course, this was 10 years of, I knew about it. I'd heard Nami Horengiko. I'd heard people chanting. I'd heard her chanting. We lived together. I'd heard her chanting every morning for like two years. But me doing it, it changed. something in me shifted. And I said, I really want to do this for my life. And in fact, we did end up getting married uh, at the Culture Center. And today, Today, literally, as 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 you and I are speaking, uh, April twenty seventh is is our twenty seventh wedding anniversary. I saw your post um, this morning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and of course, all of that is to say, you know. So, by the way, you start practicing Buddhism, and it's not like all your problems go away. In fact, so this is what I would would suggest to you is that what one of the which which gets at your question about about resilience and acceptance is that. What I love about Buddhism is, is Nichiren Daishonin, who's the first person to chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. He was a 13th century Japanese uh, Buddhist reformer. He was a person trying to get back to the roots of Buddhism because Buddhism had become so esoteric. It would become, you know, really obsessed with formalities and priests and monks and nuns and all this, you know, you have to do these things. And he was saying, well, that's not working because we're miserable. You know, and the goal of Buddhism is for people to become happy. But here in this country, we're all miserable. This is, again, in the 13th century. And so he studied and studied and studied. And he said, I think the heart of, of the Buddha's teaching is the Lotus Sutra, which says that every person is the Buddha, every person, uh, no matter what. And that it's the Lotus because it grows in a muddy pond. So that's, you know, and it's the most beautiful flower. I mean, it's this extraordinary flower, but it grows in mud. And that's a metaphor for our lives. You know, we all have to deal with struggles and challenges and problems all the time. That's the mud. But but what can we, we can, like the lotus flower, we can suck incredible nutrition out of the swamp and become this extraordinary thing, this, this lotus. And so Nichiren said, you don't even have to study the whole Lotus Sutra, right? Because a lot of 
people in Japan at that time were illiterate. He said, you don't even have to know how to read. All you actually have to do is say the title, Myoho Renge Kyo. Just recite that title. But then he added Nam, which is the Sanskrit word for devotion, right? Namu, like Namaste that people say. So Nam means, you know, I devote myself to this, to this wonderful law of cause and effect through sound. That's what literally Nam Yoho Renge Kyo means. Cause and effect is lotus. Renge means lotus flower, but that symbolizes cause and effect because the lotus seeds and fruits at the same time. It's the only flower that does that. So that's the simultaneity of cause and effect. Anyway, forgive the, the lecture here, but the the point, the, the essential point of, of what Nietzscheum was getting at and what we experience when we chant is we transform poison into medicine. We transform mud into lotus flowers. We transform suffering into joy. And that's why I've been doing this for 27 years is because it's this really pragmatic tool, if you will, uh, but, but that also has a community, right? Our, our SGI Buddhist community that I'm, you know, connected to and, you know, anybody can get connected to um, is, is such a wonderful community. But the reason it's a wonderful community is because it's based in in this idea of changing poison into medicine or, or doing what we call human revolution, which is that there's really no obstacle that we cannot turn into an opportunity. So anyway, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, you know, it gets back to, I think that um, what you're, you're getting at is People see, are seeing just the negative of the show getting canceled, but you know what? It's an opportunity too. Yeah, and, and um, you know, yeah, we and may again, not, we and may not and see it today. To, and I don't want to paper over the sadness. You know, this is the great right. thing about chanting is like when we go. You know, when I first started chanting, I thought, well, I should only chant when I'm in a good mood, right? Or I should only chant when I'm like chill. Uh, but that's not act, that's not correct. <laughs> In fact, you should chant just, you know, Daisaku Ikeda says, chant just as you are. So if you're angry, chant angry. If you're sad, chant sad. And there, there will be times when I'll be sitting here chanting and I'm, you know, Namyo Renge Kyo sounds like I'm yelling and screaming. <laughs> There are times when there are tears streaming down my face out of sorrow. You know, I mean, I've I've gone through, you know, as as we all do, I've gone through lots, you know, in the since I've been practicing Buddhism, my brother dying suddenly and and then my sister dying. And, you know, so you know, so I've I've experienced loss, of course, but we all do. Who doesn't? Who among us? What human being has not experienced loss? So it's not to paper over those things and say, oh, just get over it. No, that's not right. the way Buddhism works it's to say no dig you know dig deep into the mud that you have right now so if you feel crappy that's fine feel crappy but use it to create value soka so our, our organization sgi stands for soka gakai international gakai means society so we're a society we're a community but soka means value creation and that's the fundamental determination that we make as Buddhists is how can I create value? I'm going to create value. No matter what, I'll create value from this. So that's what I would encourage people to do. It's don't don't run away from your 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 pain or your suffering or whatever, but but dig deep into it and use it to create value. Okay. I love it. I like I say I, I'm really appreciative of everything you have shared with me. And I do think 
it just for me at least and by no means am i saying i'm you know becoming a practicing buddhist by or sci buddhist by any means but i have found it just it does provide just a great comfort and it does that like i said that acceptance just mm-hmm. things yeah. are going things are going to be okay you know it just yeah. It, yeah. it's absolutely know, so yeah. i like i say it, it, so I think whether you're topical or like like myself or you who's truly practicing, I do think there's a lot of value mm-hmm. um, in it. And we may have some people who are very strong believers in another religion who would find it like, I can't do that because of, you know, my other religious beliefs. I don't oh. think so. I can definitely compliment. Like, oh, not, I, 100%. In fact, my I have a really good friend who I who's a, used to be a screenwriter and and he then became an episcopal priest and you know I got to know him and he wanted to he reached out to me because he wanted to talk about screenwriting because he wanted to try to reactivate that part of his life but then he found out I was a buddhist and he said I want to talk about buddhism and so I taught him how to chant and he started coming to our meetings and he loved it and you know he eventually became just a few months ago he became an SGI member which means he received his is Gohunzen, which is the um, object that we focus on when we're chanting. It's a beautiful mandala, which means a cluster of blessings. It's just, it's, it's an inscription, uh, you know, a replica of what Nichiren inscribed. And so he's 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 a, he's an Episcopalian. He's a Christian. I mean, he's he's literally a professional. He's a priest, but he's also chanting every day. He loves it. So there's no, you know, we don't have those kinds of um, Buddhism. Always says rather than look at this or that let's look at both why don't right. we combine you know so yeah all right so we were talking about like about the pain and you know some of the and the grief that people have to do were you surprised at like I'm, I'm guessing you have seen through you know social media some of the people's reactions have you surprised at the extent that this has impacted people's lives like people are calling in sick from work people are like crying the the dms we have gotten of people who literally you feel like their family member has died now i i is that surprised you at all or were you like no i knew what we had going wow i mean i i, do, I wouldn't say it surprised me it really touches me honestly very i mean it really moves me and i think what it speaks to is power of compassion that people have in their lives and also the power of imagination that people have because you know as i said it takes many many you know takes a village to create one of these movies right it's it's not just me i'm you know i mean the writer the script is the beginning it's the foundation if you will but there's a lot more people involved but that doesn't just stop when you know, the director calls cut and they wrap production and it doesn't stop when the producers say, okay, we're locking picture and we're, you know, going to, this is the finished edit of the movie. That's not the end of the collaboration, clearly, right? Because the collaboration continues with the audience. And so great, yeah, we're really fortunate that we have created this series that has engaged the imagination of the audience to the extent that they're collaborators in this show. Absolutely, right? Um, from from I mean, really, from a, a creative or or imaginative or compassion, you know, the heart 
standpoint of this. So I'm really moved by that. And, and you know, I hope that I'm able to continue to creating shows that have that kind of effect on people. But this is the the challenge, right? If you really love something hard, when it goes away, I mean, we've who among us has not had a breakup, right? Um, you know, a love that's gone away, it, you know, and then you think, I'm never going to fall in love again. That was it. That Because this hurts too much. It hurts. It hurts. But yeah. you know what? Isn't it fortunate that we don't feel that way? That, that we eventually get over that spiteful feeling and, you know, which is a feeling of fundamentally a feeling of fear. We want to protect ourselves from being hurt, but that's, that's impossible. We cannot protect ourselves there. You know, no one can avoid suffering. That's, that's, again, that's, that's Buddhism 101 is no one can afford suffering because there's four major sufferings that Buddhism articulates. The first one is birth. So to be born is to suffer and then, and then sickness and then old age and, and then death. These are the four major sufferings and we're all guaranteed to experience all of them at some point. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I was just going to, you know, quickly touch and shift a little bit that, um, you know, going back a little bit earlier, that most of the fans don't understand the complexity that goes into making a Hallmark movie. And we just sort of oversimplified, as we said before. And I think it's important for us just to really clarify that the decision to, to end the series wasn't just a matter of Hallmark being mean and evil and saying you know what we don't care about our audience we're just going to move on because we really like you know the curious cater and mm -hmm. you know we don't care about any of the old ones it's far more complex than that and it couldn't have been an easy decision and i think it's you know it's an easy scapegoat but i think it's important and as you said there's so many variables but i think it's important to know that while they, like I said, they could have probably announced it in a better way. The decision was not one that was, you know, made just lightly or on a whim. So, um, you know, I don't really have a question, but I just think it's because Hallmark's getting beat up a lot. And, you know, if we, his, history has shown Hallmark does care about their fans. Oh and, my God. Right. Yeah. And so they uh, wouldn't I, have done something to purposely upset their fans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's really important for me to say, I don't, you're absolutely right. This is a complicated major. I mean, this is like, you know, when you when your switch, when your Swiss watch breaks, you don't open it up and try to fix it. I wouldn't open it up and try to fix it because I'd end up using a, a hammer and then I would destroy it. There, it is a complex mechanism. There's a lot going on. And again, it's run by human beings too. So there's, there's a lot of human factors. But so I don't even know what's going on. I mean, I, I've never, I, I think I shared this in the last podcast. I've never even been to the Hallmark headquarters in LA, never in my life. I've, I've been working with them for five years now, six years. And I've never, you know, and I don't know most of the people that work there. There's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And it's, so these are complicated decisions. And I don't even know, I believe me, I have no idea what all went into this decision. And, and quite candidly, it's not, 
for me to ask. It's not, that's not, that's not part of my purview as a, as a writer, as a storyteller. Um, you know, I just, and I, so I just, I, you know, all I would ask of the fans is to say, is to, it's funny you use the term scapegoat because I think everybody knows what a scapegoat is, or at least colloquially we use that expression, but literally this was an idea that, you know, and you can read about this in the, in the Bible, in Leviticus, where a goat would be sent into the wilderness after the priest had symbolically laid all the sins of all the people. So this was a way of absolving people of sins. They would say, okay, we're going to take all of your sins and we're going to lay them all on this goat. And then we're going to release the goat into the wilderness and then we'll be free of sins. Now that's, that's a cool um, metaphor, right? But it's not really a cool truth because it's not real. That's not how life works. And, you know, goats can't take on, you know, again, back to Buddhism, the law of cause and effect is strict. And that's, you can't just pass all your, your stuff off onto a goat. And so colloquially, we have come to use the term scapegoat to mean someone who will take the blame. But I, you know, it's, that's, that's, a, that's an unhappy way to live. I mean, just to, not to put too fine a point on it. And I, again, I would just encourage the, the fans of Mystery 101 to, to just think for a second about when we made the first Mystery 101 and there was no guarantee that we would make a second one, none, zero. It was just to, you know, take a flyer. We'll see how this goes. And it went well. It went well enough that we made, we we were really fortunate. We got to you know, make a second one. And then that went well. And we got to make a third and so on for seven movies. Seven movies, it's a lot. That's a huge commitment, right? I mean, it's 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 huge. So I would just, encourage the fans who, again, not to discount their sorrow, but to really appreciate the fact that we got 14 hours to tell this story. That's enormous. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for it. I agree. And um, when we did our reaction podcast uh, earlier this week, Sydney, and I, I'll ruin the quote, I'll just paraphrase it, but she did a, a Dr. Seuss quote, which I think kind of summed it up. And it's like, let us, you know, focus on the being the the happiness of what we had rather than the sadness of what we didn't have. No. Um, no, and I'm just paraphrasing. And it's funny because as we've talked a little bit about the Buddhism, it seems like it kind of Dr. Seuss aligns a little bit with some oh, of the yeah, yeah. things you're no, talking no, about, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that that acceptance and that. Oh yeah, no, Dr. Seuss was is a total Buddha, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, but I think that is just a really good way. And as you said. Yeah, I think it's let's let's be happy for what we had rather than angry and upset for what we didn't. Yeah, but that brings us to I don't know if there's anything else left to talk about. Oh, one thing left. Okay, so it's not happening. It's collecting dust. Can you now help people with their recovery? Help people sleep at night. Help people feel a little bit better. Sure. And can you sort of tell us a little bit? You know, we don't have to go page by page. If you want to, I have time. But can we can we just sort of take people through a little bit about what that episode eight would have happened? A little explanation of Amy. You know, we were left Amy look 
looking at her dead fiance with Travis looking on. You know, we talked before, it wasn't meant to end the series on that cliffhanger, but it did. So right. can you help people just uh, a little bit with what episode eight would have been? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I do want to say before that, that I think that a big part of the the pain that people feel is is their desire for a tidy ending, you know? And of course, this Mystery 101 pales in comparison to the um, the fan reaction to The Sopranos, which, which to me, one of my big writing mentors is David Milch. And he said, I don't understand why people were so upset about that. That was the exact ending that the show had prepared us for. Right. This is a show about where things constantly end abruptly and suddenly and um, and where also like there's a huge measure of absurdity in the show. And the show is really engaging in like the absurdity of life and dreams and all this stuff. So anyway, um, that was the ending that they got to choose. And it still infuriated people. And what they're infuriated by is the suddenness of it, right? And the uh, untidiness of it. And so I do think that part of what is people are really grappling with now, and Mystery 101 fans, I mean, is the, um, you know, that if, if episode seven, if Deadly History had ended with Travis and Amy saying, I love you, and fade to black, and then two years later, it's never coming back. Well, that would have been okay with people, right? Um, so I I guess I just in, encouraging people to think about why that one would be, why that would be okay and this isn't okay. <laughs> and what that says about, you know, e each of us as a person um, that because again, life doesn't always end with a nice fade out and people telling that each other that they love each other. So anyway, but that said, I'm not trying to dodge uh, your request. So I, you know, just to be clear, I never wrote episode uh, eight. I just pitched it. I pitched and I pitched what, what I thought would be the idea for it. Um, and so that's all I, I have to share with you if that's okay. That's Eric. perfect. Um, okay. So uh, it's uh, we open with that final scene from Deadly History, <laughs> the one that got everyone so upset. And as Travis looks at Amy and the thunder claps and she looks back at him and she, we're on her and she's looking at him and we hear his voice saying, Amy, Amy. And she wakes up with a start. She's fallen asleep at her desk in her office. It's night. Travis is beside her. She's disoriented. What's going on? What, what time is it? He says, it's almost nine. I, I waited for you at the restaurant. And then I tried calling a bunch of times, but you didn't pick up. And she says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't even remember falling asleep. I just had the craziest dream. I was engaged. And my fiance was murdered and you were investigating. And Travis says, so it wasn't me who was dead. And she shakes her head and he smiles and he says, good. Then I'm not going to work because you're engaged to me. And they kiss. 
And then we see the title card, Mystery 101, Killing Dreams. Amy explains the dream in detail that she was engaged to Sam Jameson, who we learn was her real life next door neighbor and her high school sweetheart. And he actually proposed to Amy while they were in college, but she had turned him down. She was worried about his growing intensity, his obsession with her, and they were too young anyway. And honestly, they haven't spoken much since then. And Travis says, well, sounds like your class is getting to you. And then we cut to next day to Amy in class and she's teaching Agatha Christie's Poirot story, The Dream, about a man who dreams of his own death and then ends up dying. And so as class ends, Graham arrives to tell Amy totally shocking news. He's just heard from Mrs. Jameson that her son Sam is dead and he's been murdered. Then we end up learning more about Sam. Sam was this genius, a genius level person. I mean, she like a 160 IQ, but had the first of several nervous breakdowns in college after the breakup with Amy. He's been in and out of hospitals but has been very successful in the biotech world because he's so brilliant. He lived in Seattle and Amy's really just distraught about this and she can't sleep and she insists that they go look into it. And fortunately, Detective Denny Roma uh, from Dead Talk is the investigating officer in Seattle. So they have a way in and there are several suspects and there's a labyrinthine investigation and and honestly, I didn't figure all of that out. Right. That's that's the sort of the part where I go, and then we find out who did it, and you know, and who did it. The killer turns out to be Sam himself, who staged his death after changing his identity and swapping his genetic signature in the lab. And the victim was an innocent man who matched Sam's height and weight and he was thrown from a building so that no facial match could be made. Sam had been planning this for months. As soon as he learned that Amy had gotten engaged and had set a wedding date. And what we find out is that Sam has been in the movie all along, in the background, disguised with a beard and glasses and padding as a janitor at Elmstead, giving him access to Amy's coffee machine, her, her, her Nespresso machine in her office, which he used to drug her and hypnotize her while drugged, planting doubt about Travis and their impending marriage and planting the dream scenario, which opens the, the film. And so once that's all resolved, we would have our final scene of the movie, which of course is Amy and Travis's wedding. So that's that fantastic. Chills. Chills. I literally got chills. Um, I love the Agatha Christie uh, nod in there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I love dreams. And, you know, some people sniffed it out on the internet right after it happened. Right after that episode aired, some people were saying, it must be a dream. It must be a dream. And I was like, it must be. Yeah. I mean, that's, of course, that's a great salute, uh, um, um, you know, insight because, um, you know, I love dreams 
so much. I mean, I'm a huge Wizard of Oz fan. I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I think dreams are so powerful. They're a way of working out problems that we have, but they're also, they can be ways where people can embed things into you, especially if they drug you and hypnotize <laughs> Exactly. I'll say one thing interesting, um, and then you shared the Agatha Qu uh, Christie quote, which we're going to talk about in a second, is um, since we last talked, uh, you recommended the ABC murders, Agatha Christie. I watched that. Fantastic. You, you, you've got me. I, I never was in an Agatha Christie for some reason. And I don't know why I associated her with the murder she wrote and just thought she was, I don't know, sort of corny. But as I'm starting to get more into Agatha Christie, she's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, not, not to say everyone shouldn't just watch your movies, but... Um, <laughs> Agatha Christie, she that woman knew how to spin a mystery. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, oh, I, I mean, she's the queen. I mean, she is the queen of crime. I mean, for a reason. I mean, she really, I mean, there would be no Mystery 101 without Agatha Christie. I mean, I just, I am a huge devotee, a disciple of, of Dame Agatha. So, well, I greatly appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think, once again, our... Um, a lot of people were making their own speculations. They wanted to, you know, think happy thoughts. You had you had hinted that you promised it wouldn't be bad what happened, the future of of Travis and Amy. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I also going back to what you're saying before about people needing to have a tidy ending when we were talking about our reaction we did talk about Sopranos, um, you know, not having the neat ending. Another one, you know, what some people think may be the best comedy of all time, Seinfeld. That ending, you know, wasn't the ending everybody wanted. You know, right. it, 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 to have a final episode of a beloved show that is going to make people feel good, mm -hmm. it may be an impossible task because for the most part, nobody wants that show to end. They wish it could go on for eternity. And the reality is, you know, we have the soaps, I guess, that have gone on for a long time. But every show starts and then every show finishes. Mm -hmm. And we have a favorite show. And then, you know what? We may grieve. We may miss it. We like compare things to it. But eventually we find some other shows that we do like. Right. And some of them we may really like. Yeah. So, yeah. which is going to bring me to the next. Um, oh, there goes my dog getting uh, barking probably at someone. I think he was saying, uh, great job. Thank you very much, John. But so <laughs> one of the things the reaction fans have had, and I think you're going to really help with this a lot, but it's they said, you know what? We're done with Hallmark. We're not going to invest in another mystery because it's no point in getting involved. Um, they're just going to cancel it or no show is going to be. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, you know, they say we're, we're just not going to invest in another mystery because it'll get canceled or it just won't be as good as mystery one-on-one. And I have two takes on that. Number one, I think that's a disservice to you and the other writers because you created now, granted, as you said, it's a, it's a whole village. It takes everybody to do these. But you created these amazing characters and these amazing stories and mysteries. Mm -hmm. And to say, I'm not going to get invested, nothing's going to ever be as good again, I think is just a discredit to you that saying, you know what, John, you did it once. I don't believe you can do it again. 
right? You're one here's wonder, man. <laughs> I have way more confidence in you. You know, I, the curious cater. You've shown, you know, Francesca Quinn. You've shown that you can, you can do a Hallmark mystery very well. And we just had the cases of Mystery Lane, you know, that was out, and that was fantastic. It was so good. Yeah. So, I, you know, I just tell people you know, have trust in it, just have trust. And it goes back, you know, this is like, I guess maybe the reason why, like when we've talked about your Buddhism and I've ever read it, it just sort of really does all funnel back to it. It's that, you know, the acceptance, that that resiliency, it's going to be fine. There's going to be other shows we like again. Yeah. And then this is where the quote. Yeah. And it's, and it, as you say, faith, I mean, it's a faith, it's a matter of faith. I mean, fundamentally everything in life comes down to a choice between fear or faith. And I would choose faith because it's much more fun and anyway, and, and this is the, the and then the quote you shared with me the agatha christie quote that sometimes the, what you think is an end is only a beginning and you share that with me and, and i immediately was like oh my gosh you have like news that there's like a spinoff or something and you're like no it's just a beautiful great quote that sort of sums it up and it really does do it and i think it's just it, it, it's it's funny because that's kind of the message we've been doing as people have been coming to us with a lot of, like I say, this upsetness and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's so much more that's coming. Just be excited for what's coming. Yes. It's, yes. I, I think, as you said, you're turning me into this Agatha Christie uh, fan and it was, it's such a good quote that I think um yeah that's from Par that's from the book uh the novel Peril at End House so um yeah yeah but right I I mean and that to me it's it this idea um that sometimes what you think is an end is only a beginning is so beautiful I the um Janus the Roman god of um uh doorways is um depicted with two faces because and he's also the roman god of duplicity so he's sort of the, the god of um of uh detectives in a way and um but but this idea that this was that they had this god devoted to be able to pat the passage through right the passages really matter and don't again if you just think that's the end that's that's not accurate right it's yes you're leaving one room but you cannot it's impossible to leave one room and not go into another room and of course you can go into the other room of anger and recrimination and i'm canceling hallmark and that's your you know this, this is america and you're allowed to do that if you want but i would encourage you as as you know i would encourage the the fans as you are eric to not do that but to you know to be open to what's what's next and and to also look at the fact that if you love this show so much and we're the people that made it, you know, come back and see what what else we get to do. Um, and right. I, you know, I'm certainly excited about the things I am working on right now with Hallmark. And I really hope that, you know, in Curious Cater being one of them, I wrote the first two that someone else has written the third one that they're shooting right now. Um, and again, that's just because of scheduling things. It's not like there's nothing, there's no secret right. conspiracy to oust me or something like that. 
And um, because I'm working with that, that those producers on another project with Chris, uh, with Chris Palaha that we're working on together. And I can't, I really can't say anything more about That's that. What I, as I was say, what can, I, what can you share with us about what's coming up? Well, right. Anything? So Chris, Chris and I are working on a project together. It's a mystery. Um, okay. And we're, you know, that's really all I can and should say. I'm, I love, but we're working creatively on it together. He's right. a producer on it, coming up with the story okay. together, um, which is different. And I love it. And I'm so excited about it. Oh my gosh. I'm just incredibly excited about it. And that's really all I can say right now about that. That's for, plenty. Further along in development is this project called Mystery Island, which I think I might have mentioned to you. Before. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, and that that's getting close to production. That's I mean they're they're starting to look at cat. They're starting to reach out about casting and and uh, nail down locations. They're going to be filming it, uh, I believe in I believe in Panama, um, okay. you know, tropical cool. island. Um, and it's I mean. It's super. I mean, if you like Mystery 101, I really think you'll like Mystery Island because it's it's so much uh it's so deeply inspired by Agatha Christie. I mean, the premise is there's an island where people go to on vacation, you know, wealthy people go to on vacation to play murder games on the island. And someone gets pretend murdered and they pay a lot of money to play detective and on this beautiful tropical island and figure out who done it and it's totally in the vein of um of what you know it's deep it's hugely inspired by uh evil under the sun and uh and 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 then there were none the agate the two two of the Agatha Christie Island mysteries. But this whole idea that there's this industry built up around it and it's founded by this guy whose mother was a sort of a proto-Agatha Christie character. She's this incredibly successful British crime novelist. So he's used his money to, to, to do this. Anyway, it's really fun. We have, and man, great lead characters. The, the female lead is a, psychiatrist uh uk london-based psychiatrist and really wonderful uh detective character so i think people really a lot of the things that people really loved about mystery 101 are in this show but in a really different way it's right. not a copy or a knockoff or any anything like that it's it's in many ways it's quite quite different um, but in many ways, it at the, at the heart, I think it really um, gets at deep questions about about the human condition, which I think is what Agatha Christie was doing with her work. Well, you, you did tell us about that when we talked last time a little bit. And Sydney, well, I'm excited too. But Sydney, man, she's hook, line, and sinker. Excited for that one. She just thinks the premise of it is so good. But you two also have that little. British uh, mystery, yeah, you know, yeah. connection. Which I will say, you guys are bringing me on board because the more I, the more I experience them, the the, the you know the better. Oh, I mean, uh, I'm liking it. So they're 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 kind of the masters of of it. I mean, that's where it all started. The golden age of crime novels started in in England, and and so we have British characters in this. We have a lot of Latino characters as well because of where it's set. So it's right. a really great mix. And you, 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 uh, it's, I'm really excited about it. 
So am I. So am I. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for agreeing to be on here. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, like I said, when you're, you're you, I can see how you saw your scripts, by the way, because just the way you tell it, I was just tingling listening to you, you talk about it. So I'm sure that's part of, you know, when we're going, you know, being a little less uh, romantic, but when you're selling, you know, a script and trying to get it produced, I'm sure that comes into play too, not just, you know, reading it, well, but being able to, you know, get someone yeah, excited listening I mean, to you we'll talk have about to it. Have the good skills, storytelling skills. I was fortunate, you know, I used to be an actor in the theater and uh, obviously uh, that's a big part right. of it, but really fundamentally it's your passion. Like, right. You, you, I mean, I think the reason there's so much compassion for Mystery 101 is because there's so much passion that went into the creating of it, not just from me, but from from everybody involved. And, um, and you know, and, and that carries over into this vast audience, starting with you, Eric. And yeah, thank you, man. I just, I really want to thank you from the, the bottom of my heart for having me on again and letting me open up about all this stuff and certainly letting me talk about Buddhism and for being such a curious person. The great American poet Walt Whitman said, always be curious. And I, I really appreciate your curiosity. Uh, and uh, to me, that's what makes, that's what elevates us and wakes us up. You know, Buddha means awakened person. That's all it means. It, it doesn't mean anything other than awakened person. And we're, you know, we're all just trying to wake up and be the best version of ourselves. So thank you for letting me do that a little bit no, today. And I thank you for, like I say, sharing what you have. Uh, I, I do, I do appreciate it. I, I, I do think of myself as a curious person and I do like to absorb what I can. And I find like, like I said, I just think there's a lot of really good in there, whether you want to become practicing or not. I don't think that's even you know that doesn't really point, matter that's, but, that's that's everybody's decision themselves right. but themselves. i think there's a, so much interesting helpful information um in there and like i say especially through what people are going through now that acceptance and resiliency everybody well heck forget mystery 101 let's talk the world everyone could use yeah, a little dose exactly. of that right exactly so, absolutely but, yeah but all right well good luck i like i say i not a, a Ounce of me does not think Mr. Allen won't be crazy successful. This the story, the that whole plot just is, sounds fascinating. Um, I am very curious. I will say as we as we end, and I think it's just because the recency. But people with their comments saying, "I don't want to see Chris in another mystery. He's only Travis." Mm -hmm. I think with time. Yeah, they will move a, on. They again, will accept. That's, he's an that's actor, understandable. right? And, and that just shows how much they love Chris and how much they love the character of Travis, right. really. But yeah, Chris is incredible. I mean, he's such a he's a fantastic yeah. actor. And and it's it's fine that people say that. And this this character that he's playing in this new thing we're working on, it's it's so different. It's so structurally different. Um, even tonally, it's really, really tonally different. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that. Um, yeah, I think I, I, hopefully they'll come around. Yeah, and, a little bit of time because yeah. 
Yes, the things, as you know, I joke about my Windy City mysteries all the time. Yes. I and people that. are like, no, Chris can't be with with uh, Kate. Anybody he, other than it can He can only be with Amy. He's yes. That's the only person he can ever be with. And it's like, wait until you see him with somebody else and he's fantastic. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, wait. You know, but you know what? That's entertainment, right? It's all cool. Right. It's all good. All right. Take Thanks, care. John. Have a great day. You too.